On this program, we have complained often about people's ignorance of how to orient themselves in environments they must navigate. It isn't just that people rely too much on technologies like GPS to get around. From our perspective, it's crazy not to know which way is north as we hike, bike, sail, or drive in unfamiliar territory. So when we heard about a book titled The Natural Navigator, A Watchful Explorer's Guide to a Nearly Forgotten Skill, we suspected that its author, Tristan Gooley, was the kind of fellow we needed as a guest. Mr. Gooley has the distinction of being the only living person to have both sailed and flown solo across the Atlantic Ocean. As he became expert in instrument-free navigation using natural clues to orient, he decided to open a school teaching this subject in his native England. Radio Parallax applauds this idea, this book, and this school. We hope that these techniques will be learned by everyone, and to help you, dear listener, gain some practical skills, we go by phone to England, where it is our great pleasure to be able to say, welcome to Radio Parallax, Tristan Gooley. Thanks for having me. As one of a select number of people who have sailed the Atlantic alone, I'm guessing that the stars of the nighttime sky became uh, some valuable allies of you. They did, yeah. They were. Uh, I mean, I had all the kit on board for safety reasons. I, uh, you know, I had GPS and I had compasses, uh, but I didn't feel the need to, to stare at them. I, I enjoyed the, the stars, both in the way they were helping me understand direction, but also as companions on the uh, on the voyage over. Well, I, I know what you mean by that. Uh, the stars are in some ways a kind of a gold standard for navigation, but few people take the time to uh, to learn their way around the heavens. Uh, what things do you stress in your school to keep people um, uh, able to use the stars as, as guideposts? Well, what I do is I take them, uh, take them back, take them way back. Uh, we actually go back to the techniques uh, that the ancient Greeks would have been familiar with. Uh, so instead of teaching people tricks, uh, and you can teach people how to find direction uh, really very, very quickly using tricks. But the problem with tricks is you don't get immersed in the subject. And if, and if you don't have that deep, rich understanding of the night sky, then you tend to forget the tricks because you've, you know, you've become disconnected before you've really started. So I like to teach people, um, as I say, the, the ancient Greeks saw uh, the night sky as a, as a huge, um, what they called celestial sphere that uh, enveloped the Earth, uh, and it's a beautiful idea. It's, it's so beautiful that astronomers to this day still use it to make sense of, uh, of what's out there. And so we, you know, we learn about the night sky by, by going back to the ancient Greeks, using those techniques, uh, and taking them into our, our contemporary lives, and it's a, it's a beautiful way to reconnect with the night sky. I know you mentioned in the book that uh, in, in the Odyssey, they describe how Odysseus was using uh, the Big Dipper to keep it on his left. Of course, that, that would mean he was sailing uh, east. That's right, yes, exactly, yeah. Well, your, your publicist sent along an article from Outside Magazine. It mentioned that one in person in four now can't get around without online maps and, and mobile satellite navigation. Um, personally, I'm very disheartened to see how many people are just are unable to utilize the sun's position to tell east from south to west. So uh, how do people use the sun, uh, would you say, to, to, to keep best, better oriented? Well, the, there are three key points in the, in the sun's daily journey. There's, there's sunrise, sunset, and midday. Uh, and if you're north of the Tropic of Cancer, uh, so the whole of the U.S., the whole of Europe, and many, many other places, the sun will be due south at midday, i.e. the moment it's highest in the sky. So that's a nice, easy way to get up and running. If, if it's lunchtime, the sun's going to be roughly south. Uh, the, the beginning and the end of the day, 
slightly more to it, but, but more interesting in a way. Uh, I very rarely meet anybody who knows where the sun rises these days, whereas <laughs> our, our ancestors were obviously pretty, pretty well tuned into these concepts. Everybody says it rises east and it, and it sets west, and there's a lot of truth in that. But if you ask people, you know, tell me a bit more, they get lost very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, the sun actually only rises due east and sets due west on two days of the year, the equinoxes. Every other day, it's rising, you know, either north or south of east and setting either north or south of west by, by quite a lot at times. Uh, and, and that comes as a surprise to many people. And for the record, as we hold this conversation, it's, it's February, meaning that uh, the sun will be rising south of due east and setting south of due west. That's it. Well, you mentioned a trick that I've never used in your book, but it sounds like it might be very useful pe for people out in the wilderness. If you put a, a stick in the ground that the shadow... Uh, that it that it inscribes will give you an east to west line. The tip of the shadow will, and the shortest shadow tells you where south is. Yeah, it's going back to uh, what, what we were talking about. The sun um, shadows are pretty pretty straightforward uh, beasts. Really, they'll obviously just do the opposite of what the sun is doing. So, the shortest shadow of the day is just another way of saying when the sun is highest. In fact, it's just the neatest way of working out when the sun is highest in the sky, and when any celestial object. It doesn't have to be the sun. It could be the moon. Uh, it could be planets. Uh, it's true of the stars, too, although, of course, they don't cast a shadow. When, when any celestial object is highest in the sky, it will be either due south or due north of you. And if you're in the northern part of the world, uh, as you are there and as I am here, then they will be highest in the sky when they're due south. So the sun will cast its shortest shadow when it's due south. So will the moon. So will the planets. Well, continuing looking up, of course, uh, you got the stars at night, the sun in the daytime, but the moon can be seen in, in, in either day or night, depending on where it is in its cycle, and it gives us clues uh, anytime you can see it. Absolutely, yeah. The um, the, the the fastest um, you know trick I try not to teach tricks, but to get people you know up and running is if you if you join the horns of a crescent moon together and then keep that line going down to your horizon. That, in the northern part of the world, will give you a rough idea of south. It's, it's not pinpoint. A lot of the techniques you can use the sun for are, are extremely accurate, but that's a nice sort of rough and ready way of getting up and running. And then there are other techniques you can use with the moon, which take a bit more, um, a bit more time and care. Chris, we'd encourage people to go out and just pay attention to what they're seeing from night to night. Uh, I remember years ago when I was in uh, Australia, I was stunned to see the moon setting and the horns were pointing in the wrong direction from what I was used to. Yeah, you're experiencing something which uh, I and, and perhaps a few others call wrong-way-itis. We've been talking about some old techniques, things the ancient Greeks used, but your book mentions some modern additions, maybe for, for city dwellers. Uh, if someone's strolling around in Massachusetts or Macedonia, you can reliably use the orientation of satellite dishes to tell direction. That's right, yeah. Well, the uh, communication satellites, including television satellites, will, uh, will be uh, broadcasting from uh, a position uh, overhead the equator. So broadly speaking, uh, northern parts of the world, satellite dishes will point uh, south, uh, but, but from city to city you can get subtle variations. And, and traveling across the whole of a state, for example, you could watch the, the, um, watch the angles change. And something else people can do if they go to a strange city, uh, you, I learned from your book, is that uh, churches, mosques, mosques, and synagogues generally give a person clues about direction. Yeah, churches um, are, are broadly speaking aligned west to east. Uh, the older the church, the more dependable it is, because if a church has been built more recently, then the, 
you know, there's quite often more pressure on space, and so they, you know, certainly in the in the UK, there's, there's you know a lot of planning restrictions. So you sometimes find churches doing odd things, but but a church that's been there for at least a few decades, highly likely to be aligned west to east with the altar at the eastern end, uh, and gravestones also uh, will traditionally uh, be laid down with a with a west to east alignment. Oh. So when the you know, when, the, when, the, when the dead arise on the day of judgment, they're, they're facing they're facing the right way. That's the theory. I didn't I didn't pick that up from your book. Another little pearl we've gained here today. Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk about something that. Well, if people go out and they get lost in spite of their best efforts, how do you get them thinking about what to do to get reoriented? Well, panic first. That's the golden rule. And then uh, once you've let that go, no, no, of course. Um, <laughs> A lot of a lot of navigation is about a, is about confidence, and and so what I hope is when I've taught people or they've read my book, uh, they, they instead of jumping to that thought of oh my god I've lost all control of the situation what's going to happen I'm going to die they start thinking well this might be a bit of a problem but a you know it might be a challenge too let's just approach it that way uh, and nobody is ever completely lost um, I, I say to people on my courses I say. Once you go on this course, you'll never get lost again because you'll be a navigator. Navigators don't get lost. We just become temporarily unaware of our position. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of truth in that because, you know, how lost can you be? You, you, you'll know how long you've been traveling. Uh, you know how you've been traveling. So just to give you an example, let's say you've been walking for a couple of hours. You think you're lost. Well, you know you're, you're within a radius of a point that you were at two hours before. It sounds silly and simple, but once you start putting the pieces together, you start narrowing it down. You then notice that, you know, the back of your neck is a little bit sunburned. Uh, it's the middle of the day. You know, you start thinking, well, I've been walking north for, for a lot of that time. So you start walking south again. You recognize a, a point you passed, uh, and instead of feeling completely helpless, you, you actually get this, this rush, this exciting feeling, my God, I... I'm connected, and I'm I'm back where uh, where I can uh, live to another day. Yeah, one thing you, that I was impressed by your book, in addition to many other things, was that um, something that I'd always noticed in trees that are in my yard and elsewhere that um, you point out that the southern branches tend to get more sun; they tend to grow more vigorously, and that people can use that as a clue to direction uh, even on cloudy days. Yes, it's um, this is where we get into the art of natural navigation when when we're dealing with the. Uh, with the sky, it's uh, it's astronomy in a in a nice simple form, so it's science, uh, and that there's the science in the way trees grow, but interpreting them becomes an art because uh, nature um, is more fascinating because it won't always do what we want it or expect it to do, and this is a great example. If you take um, a huge number of um, trees, they will follow this rule, but you know, an individual one will have its quirks. But I think the, the technique you're referring to here, if you take an isolated deciduous tree, um, isolated being important because you want it exposed um, to the elements of the sun in this case. Uh, deciduous is important because you want those trees that burst into life in summer with their big broad leaves. This tends to accentuate the differences. Uh, and the net result is that those big broad leaves in summer stop the southern sun getting to the northern side of the tree and the southern side soaks up all of that energy, grows, as you say, more vigorously. And so you get this, this apparent weight difference. The southern side of a tree will appear heavier. Uh, that, sometimes it can be so subtle. And I, I teach people the technique of imagine soaring a tree down the middle uh, and, and imagine a giant set of scales. You're weighing the two sides. And the side that seems heavier uh, is most likely to be the southern side. 
And there's even, I guess, something to the old rule about moss growing on the north side of the tree. That, that sometimes is useful, too. It is, yeah. And that's, uh, that's an interesting one because it, that's, that's something that's entered, you know, sort of not quite sort of urban myth because there is truth in it. But it's, it's become a trick that's so familiar that nobody's really bothered to stop and think why it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, moss needs moisture to reproduce. Uh, if you deny it uh, moisture, uh, it, it can't um, survive and thrive. Uh, the northern side uh, of, of trees or buildings, for, for that matter, uh, doesn't get direct sunlight that often, uh, very rarely. Uh, therefore, it tends to be moisture. Therefore, moss will do better there. But as I explain in the book, it's uh, it, it's another another of those areas where you know there's a, there's a bit more to it. And if, if we choose to, uh, we can we can see moss and actually put together a, a story or, or or use our detective skills to understand exactly why that colony of moss is uh, is thriving. I want to ask you about a question about stereotypes, which you may have had some familiarity with in teaching about navigation. Do you find it's true that men are simply not going to ask directions in an urban environment or any other? <laughs> I do. I do get asked about this a bit, and uh, what I've what I've found uh, is that the stereotypes don't apply in exactly the way um, that, that a lot of people might expect. But there are there are some differences that I've noticed. Uh, I think there is some truth in, you know, female intuition and perhaps, you know, lateral thinking, uh, and men being more, more, you know, analytical. It, it's this whole sort of left brain, right brain debate, I think. And, you know, there are, there are, you know, many, many men and many, many women who will, who will break any rules that we try and invent. But to give you one example, I've, um, I've set a, a challenge to, to people in classrooms over, over the years. And one of them is I show them a picture of a house and I just say very simply, which way are we looking in this picture? And quite often, you know, more often than not, the men and the women tend to fare um, equally well. But I've noticed that the, it's only the women who come up with the uh, with the intuitive answers. Uh, the men are looking at the sun and the stars and the way the trees have grown uh, and saying, well, I think we're looking north. Uh-huh. And the women, the women will say, well, obviously we're looking north and I'll, I'll say why. The men will give their very sort of rational answers. And then the, the women will say, well, the lights are on in the house. Nobody puts all the lights on in the house at the beginning of the day. Therefore, it's the end of the day. And if the sun's on the left, it must be we're looking north. <laughs> or they'll say, it looks like a nice house. It's got a nice garden in front of it. Nice houses tend to have their gardens on the southern side. We're therefore looking north. Well, there's a lot of more than one way to skin a cat, I guess. But as long as we're talking about the difference in sexes, I got to tell you from my personal experience, if I tell a man head north off off a of highway 50, they they generally know what I'm talking about. Well, if I tell a woman head north, she says she stops me and says, "Don't give me those directions. Give me left right instructions." Yeah, but I think also what we've got there is that men expect are expected to know what that means. Yeah. So even if they um even if you say to a man head north, he might secretly be thinking, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but I'm not going to let on that I'm the only person who doesn't know which way north is. I'll just nod, head off, and then, uh, and then get, get my sat nav out. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, as we wrap up, I'd like to ask what, what things you'd like to have people listening to this interview go out and do uh, straight out to, uh, to try and improve their navigational skills. Well, one of the fastest things that, that requires no understanding at all um, is just to, at the start of each day, um, you know, check which way the wind is blowing, check which way the clouds might be moving. Uh, and, you know, that's the simplest possible technique that can help you orientate yourself, whether you're in a city uh, or in a, in a, in a forest somewhere. 
and it, it's it's just that that start of the journey to connect back with the with the, the sky and the natural world, uh, and it, it only takes a second each day. Well, Mr. Gooley, if our listeners want to enroll in your school when they next go to the UK, or if they just want more information about what you've been up to, uh, where should they go? Uh, my website, uh, www.naturalnavigator.com, uh, or just Google uh, Natural Navigation. Um, I'll, I'll pop up, and there's loads and loads of information there on the courses and the book. Well, I wish you well with that school. How many graduates have you turned out so far? <laughs> We're into the, the hundreds, not the thousands. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty rare and unusual subject, uh, and I, I don't let my classes get too big uh, because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, intense, intense day. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's pretty very popular, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Well, next time I go to, to England, I, I'll see I'll see if I can't pop in and see what you're up to. I think it'd be really fun. I look forward to seeing you then. All right. The book is The Natural Navigator, A Watchful Explorer's Guide to a Nearly Forgotten Skill. We've been speaking with author Tristan Gooley. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Cheers. Thanks.